to another edition of Punch's Charts with Pinnacle, the podcast that covers boxing betting from every angle. I'm your host, Chris McCarthy, and we've got yet another feast of boxing to analyse for the month ahead. Now, just to recap on last month's show, we was joined by former lightweight champion Anthony Proller, who correctly made the call for an Oscar Valdez win. And what a win it was, stopping the much-fancied Miguel Burchell inside nine dramatic rounds after being given just a 25% chance of victory by Pinnacle, and an even slimmer chance for the knockout, which came in at around 6-1. to one. Since then, we've seen a string of upsets, including Josh Warrington suffering his first defeat in 31 career fights to Mauricio Lara, learning the harsh reality of the boxing game, as betters looked on in shock in what was a result that no one would have predicted, as well as seeing rising star and former Olympian Josh Kelly unravel after starting so brightly against the outsider David Anishian, Blue Zumbi and record. Today, I'll be joined by, as ever, by Tom Craze from the Boxing Betting Show, and Richard Poxon is back to run the rule over last month's predictions. Whilst we have a real special guest who can lay claim to one of the greatest against the odds stories in British boxing history. I was a terrible coward when it comes to fighting. I never believed that I deserved this. I never believed I was good enough to fight for the world title. Never mind winning. Johnny Nelson had 13 amateur fights and only won three, had all of a sudden won the world title. And then I realised. Once I'd, when I, once I'd settled down, I realised who I'd done it for. You've laid a few ghosts to rest there, and they've been around for seven, eight years. This, for me, was just to show that Brennan Ingle's system works. I'm a product of St Thomas's Boxing Club. I entered the gym with nothing, no natural talent, no natural raw ability. I entered the gym with nothing. I'm, I'm a product of the gym. I am the gym. That's exactly what I am. Even today, I'm a product of the gym because of what the sort of person that he made me. This man stuck by me when I embarrassed him, embarrassed his family, embarrassed his gym, embarrassed his legacy. When 99% of people walked away, he stuck by me. The biggest coward in the world. His own city turned against him. I nearly killed boxing in Sheffield. I'd become world champion. I'd become world champion. I didn't care about no slaps on the back for me because I knew the same people that were slapping back after the fight saying, John, you were brilliant. With the same people that abused me, mocked me behind my back. So now those people have got to think, wow, how's Johnny done that? Won a world title, made 13 defences and retired as champion. How's he done that? He was rubbish. Johnny, welcome to the Pinnacle podcast. I was, uh, I was getting a bit emotional listening back to that, if I'm honest. Uh, first, uh. first of all, thanks for coming on. Uh, obviously, really appreciate your time. Um, how have you been keeping during all of this? I mean, because obviously live boxing and especially your work with Sky, just I presume it hasn't been the same, I'd imagine. You know, funny enough, I've not been to Sky office for a year now, the, into the building itself. Uh, and, and, and I'm quite sure, like most people, it's just, it's just an odd existence. You're spending more time at home. And, and I don't think about the things, the things I can't do. I think about the things I now can do in this time, time we've got. Uh, but once boxing came back, sweetest feeling ever. And just getting in there, seeing the fighters back in action again. I feel sorry for the fighters, but it's a great leveller. 
And as you mentioned earlier on, there was been, there's been some upsets, which is something I kind of predicted uh, once the lockdown happened because the days have gone where fighters have got like, unless you're Canelo, have got like three months, four months notice before your opponent finds out four weeks before. This lockdown has put fighters into a position where all they can do is train and keep fit. So, so when fights appear, say, come on, there's a fight there. Do you want it? They put off some good money. There's a good, good chance that the, the losing corner ends up being the winners because they've had enough time to prepare for it. So, and upsets have happened. And upsets will carry on happening whilst we're in this state of play. Um, and it, our, bo- our game is so intriguing. It's so exciting. It's so unpredictable. Uh, but it's so addictive. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you say, I've touched on there. It's obviously we've seen some some great shocks coming through and like some huge odds that have been kind of people have been backing and making some nice money out of. Now, to touch on something else, I mean, I've read your book, Johnny, um, The Hard Road to Glory. And obviously your backstory is a you know a captivating one on many levels, uh, all the way from your relationship with Brendan Ingle to kind of admitting that you wasn't even that good at boxing to kind of start with, but then, <laughs> yeah. becoming, then becoming kind of cruiserweight champion of the world. And obviously now, with your punditry work with Sky Sports. Um, for listeners who maybe like aren't aware of the story, could you like tell us how it all kind of started and provide us a bit of insight into how you actually kind of managed to overcome those odds? Uh, you know what? It was, I think people are born uh, to either know their path in life, fall into by accident or get shoved onto it. I got shoved onto it. Um, um, uh, and because I never, I'm not a natural fighter. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm not a hard man. I'm just a man in a hard job. And uh, and I just went to the gym to make friends. And that was it. The downside of going to the boxing gym was actually boxing. Uh, I went there to, to just have a laugh with my mates, all trained together and everything. Slowly but surely, it suckers you in. Uh, and Brendan spotted in a heartbeat that um, I... I was very shy. Uh, there was a lot of growing and development to be done with me. And so to him, it's a blank canvas. And, and as long as I listened, that blank canvas could have been created and done he, he, at his hands. I could have been a creation of his, a Frankenstein of his. And, and leapfrogging further on down the line is exactly right. I remember the first day going in the gym, uh, he told me to explain, tell him, explain myself and tell him who I was. Now, if you go to anybody and say, tell me about yourself for two minutes, you'll have to, even a grown man, never mind a 14-year-old boy, you're going to start to think, <laughs> well, I, 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 well, I... And Brendan straight away had me thinking, made me use my head and, and, and kept, from a youngster, kept, from when I was youngster, kept saying, you'll not become champion until you're in your 30s. And I'm like, Brendan, I don't want to be boxing when I'm 30. Oh, that's old. And so, so, <laughs> so uh, but his foresight was uh, uh, unbelievable. I was very fortunate to uh, be under his tutelage, and uh, and I'm just one of many, one of many people that um, the ones that listened came through. Ones that stopped listening fell by the wayside. Yeah, because I mean, like you're touching it there when you was one of many, because you had like obviously the guys in the gym growing up with like Naz and Clifton Mitchell and these kind of people. Like I, I remember kind of growing up myself getting into boxing as a as a young young kid and watching you guys kind of there and it seemed as though like the camaraderie in that gym and kind of the way that you all were it's almost like a squad a team and it seemed as though that was something that kind of shined through in the performances of everyone uh do you think that that was the case of like just being around them people that kind of led you to like without without a doubt 
without a doubt. Success, yeah, success bred success. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to be in an era of a couple of brat packs. So before uh, Naz, Ryan Rolls and Clifton came along, I was I was the youngster of the gym when when Harold Gray and Brian Anderson uh, were were head honchos and they were turning everybody over. Fidel Castro Smith, that's his name. His fighting name was Slugger Tool. And so <laughs> we, we we had amazing fighters in the gym. And then uh, you learn from from your experiences. And so I'd already I was used to that. And then when Naz came along, he took it to a completely different level. And and it's like when you have success in the gym, you eventually start thinking to yourself, well, I'm doing the same thing as him, so I'm not getting the same results. Slowly but surely, the amount of champions that turned out of that gym, I think it was four or five world champions, six Commonwealth, eight British, uh, eight European, 16 British. You know, they, that's not luck. That's a formula for success. That's out of one gym. And people actually don't realise that, uh, it was a, a proper proper machine, but we, we probably fought like siblings in the gym, but we traveled like a pack of wolves out of it. And it was a great time to to be involved in the gym. And if, I, if I'm honest, the, the, the one thing I missed the most was the, the, that, that atmosphere in the gym, not the fighting. I just loved being in the gym, having a banter with the lads. Everybody turn up when you're tired, somebody getting battered one day. And we have a laugh about it. And I know it sounds barbaric, but best days of my life. Great time. Yeah, because I've always uh, wondered myself as well, with obviously the kind of infamous Ingle style as such, was, is, was that more of a case of kind of, if you was to come into the gym, and I know Brendan produced champions right from the ground up, but um, if you was to come into the gym and you was kind of maybe a little bit different to someone or you had a little bit of a different style, was it something that he tried to integrate into their style, almost as if you, oh, you have to be in the gym doing the Ingle style, or was it something <sighs> what just kind of, unnaturally to people that was in the gym yeah Brendan encouraged you to to be you uh, to express your personality when you fought if you're loud if you're braggadocious if you're aggressive if you're quiet he encouraged you to be you and because what happens is that's when you produce uh, uh, episodes of cameos of brilliance and and so so in doing that um, what Brendan uh, encouraged you to do is to all spar with each other and so so um and so when you'd be in the gym and someone would be slipping, working out to the back foot, being defensive and offensive, if you was an aggressive fighter that just wanted to blast someone out and try to, you'd be falling into the ropes and be like a bull in a matador. <laughs> and, and, and so eventually you learned the hard way and thought, you know what? With all shapes and sizes in the gym, southpaws, orthodox, aggressive fighters, decent, defensive fighters, if you can manage to, 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 to last in the gym, you will last the test of time and you can fight anybody anywhere in town. And that's what that gym's about. Some fighters came in the gym, they didn't like it. They, 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 needed, they needed a regime, they needed a strictness, they needed a path to a follow, they needed someone to tell them, throw one jab, throw two jab, left, right, left. They needed someone to teach them step by step. Our gym was a gym where he encouraged you to, to bring out your personality in your fight. I think he's his obviously, his, his PS de Del Resistance is probably Naz. And Naz, and Naz ticked every box that Brendan wanted. He wanted, he wanted your personality, want your flamboyance, want your punch power, wanting the, the boxing ability. And, 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 and our style at the Ingle Gym is probably not the most exciting style, but it's the most effective. Uh, our style at the Ingle Gym will probably not get you the, make you the richest man, but it'll make you, uh, it'll make you uh, unbeatable um, and, uh, because it's hit, not be hit. In the art of boxing, um, and 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 so you go to the gym, you're seeing good technical boxers, 
you go to many other gyms, you'll see good fighters, but are they boxers? And that's where they fall by the wayside. Yeah, sure. I used to wonder with stuff like that because I always used to look at Nas and think like you would never walk into a gym and say, you know, do it like Nas. It's like kind of uh, a yeah. unique, unique style. Moving on, obviously, to some of the upcoming fights that we've got ahead. And obviously, the show is to try and find uh, some value in the boxing, boxing betting markets. Um, and we seem to be rolling again with some fights that are being rolled out. And it seems as though the boxing schedule is building up kind of week by week. Um, first one that I want to touch upon with you guys is the, the long-awaited rematch between Dillian White and Alexander Povetkin. Um, now finally set to around I think later this month um, will take place in of all places Gibraltar I believe but uh, the venue is not yet confirmed uh, I mean White was controlling the action for the first four rounds in that fight before being caught by what was I mean could only be described as a sickening left hook from Bavetkin uh, at the start of the fifth that finished the argument um, Tom uh, welcome back first of all um, I'll start with you I mean the rematch I'm looking at now is priced up almost identical to the first fight, um, which might come as a surprise to quite a lot of boxing bettors considering the outcome of that first fight and the way that it actually kind of ended. Um, how does that like sit with you? Because do, do you agree on those prices or do you think that it should be a lot closer? Because I'm sure that some people will think, well, you know, especially the casual fan will probably think, well, Povetkin, you know, kind of sparked him out in five rounds. So why can't he do it again? Yeah, hi Chris, hi guys. Um, yeah, it's an interesting point. I think if you look at the the odds, um, White is the uh, 1.289 favourite with Pinnacle at the moment. So about just under 3 to 10, um, about 78% chance implied um, by the traders there. You're right in saying that that is pretty similar to the first fight. White was around 1 to 3, um, 3 to 10 in the first fight. Interestingly, we know that this fight has been pushed back um, obviously, Povetkin had COVID at the end of last year. We had the, the issues in, in January as well. Um, but directly after the rematch, it opened up, actually, White was actually even shorter, um, two to nine. Um, so what, I mean, the initial reaction, what that, what that says is that people definitely thought it was some kind of, I don't want to say fluke, but it was an aberration. And, and it was one that White would kind of immediately re, um, kind of correct in the rematch. And that's certainly what the, certainly what the, the, the odds makers would have you believe. Um, I think you're right in, in saying though, you know, one of the knockouts of the year um, without a doubt. And I think a big, like a big factor with this is the crowd, doesn't it? In Gibraltar, it's, you know, it's obviously not on uh, in, in the British Isles, but it's going to be effectively a very, very pro Dillian White crowd. You know, it's a, um, He's going to have that behind him, assuming there are crowds. And I think that probably sways it back in his favour. Um, Povetkin out at 3.75, um, so about 11 to 4 in the odds, 27% chance. And again, I think if you're a casual fan, you're looking at that and thinking, well, I just saw Dillian White laid out back in, what, August? Why is he only be given a you know a 27% chance here when... To all intents and purposes, we can probably expect much of the same fight. You know, the, the guys are a few months on, but the the big debate going into the first fight was, you know, was Povetkin too old? Was you know, was he was he past it? We saw in August that none of that was true, and and so I think again, if you're looking at this as a fight that you know, could could be anything, I think it's hard to see it going the distance. I think underdog backers will be looking at Povetkin and thinking, well, he should be a bit a bit tighter than that. Yeah, I mean, 
I mean, like you was touching on there, Gibraltar as well. It's not exactly, you know, the, the fight capital of the world, is it? So it'll be interesting to see um, what actually kind of like what the show's like there. Um, again, I mean, it's, it's one of them. I was doing something on it the other day and it was it's such a hard fight to kind of predict because there's so many variations that can happen. Um, Rich, I'll go to you. I mean, what's your kind of views on how this one plays out? As Obviously, with White, he can, you know, he... He showed that he can win that first fight and almost fairly comfortably, but he seems to have lapses of concentration. He starts exchanging with his opponents. And if you exchange with Povetkin, uh, especially with those short left hooks on the inside and those kind of short, strong arms, just suicidal tactics. I think, look, there's, there's got to be a caveat of just how bad was his brush with COVID and has he had time to fully recover. But I, I think if he has fully recovered... Uh, I expect kind of the same fight, to be honest. I think the same thing will happen again where Dillian might start well and walk away with the first few rounds. But I just think you watch that fight back and I, and I thought it when I watched it on the night that I thought the commentary on that fight were pretty poor in that he laid quite a few traps for Vetkin that the commentators weren't picking up on. Oh, it was just kind of overlooked and you know they were just talking about what Dillian did. But I thought Povetkin, you could see him lining up, a, lining him up a few times for a similar shot or that shot itself. And I just think, look, times, you know, Johnny will tell you any better than anyone with as you get older as a boxer with injuries and stuff like that. You know, times not always on your side, and Povetkin is older. But I just think for the cleverer boxer, the smarter boxer is far and away Povetkin. And as he proved on that last fight, he only needs the one opportunity. He only needs to to get it, he only needs to land that one. So uh, I'd go with, I'll, the caveats is the, the COVID uh, issue, but other than that, I'll be going with Povetkin again. Yeah, because, um, I mean, you touched on it as well there, Rich. Like, literally, I don't know if anyone else kind of thought this, but I saw a couple of theories online and stuff like that where people were actually saying that Povetkin kind of went over from them shots almost deliberately to try and confuse Wyatt into kind of a false sense of security. So he kind of gets lazy, gets laps, and that was his tactics. Um, and whether that I mean whether that was true or whether he done that, whether that was right or not, I wouldn't say. But it did seem, kind of, it was a strange fight. Um, Johnny, I'll go to you next. I mean, you was one of the few lucky people that was there ringside that night. Um, interested to get your take on like kind of what the reaction was from everyone after that. Because, I mean, it was a brutal knockout, wasn't it? And, I mean, secondly, Dillian's going to be such a big heavy favourite in the second fight. Do you think that's worthy or would you give Povetkin more of a chance in the rematch? Um, well, first of all, uh, I've never heard quiet go quiet. And and what I mean by that is there was no crowd there. And when Dillian got knocked out because he was doing so well in the fight, the gasp, it was like it was everybody was doing it at the same time. It was a gasp of theirs as, as if, and it went deadly quiet for a split second. As, and, and everybody was shocked. And, um, and, 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 and at first I thought, that was a lucky shot. It wasn't a lucky shot. Povetkin was trying that shot all night long. Povetkin, you look at his record, you look at what he's done, you look at his pedigree. He's a world-class fighter. Uh, yes, age, he's, he's older, but he's, he's, he's most heavyweights at that age are actually not bad. Uh, most heavyweights are coming to their own at that point. Dillian had gone in there and Dillian had done what he, he's been doing for the past two or three years, which is taking on all comers, uh, not caring about the risk, the reward. He just wanted to get in there and fight the best uh, that they'd get in there. So when he was 
keeping, let's admit, giving Povetkin a shellacking. Uh, and it's a, it's a worse I'd seen him catching a beating, apart from when he botched Klitschko. And, uh, and he was patient, and, and uh, Dylan got complacent. Uh, he wasn't on point, he wasn't on guard, and I, I do believe uh, it would have been a different outcome if he'd not swapped trainers before the fight, and know they had a bit of a fallout, because he'd have steadied them up. He'd have said, be patient, be wary, be careful. Um, uh, so the knockout to me was a peach of a punch. I travelled back on the bus with, on the coach with, uh, with Dylan back to the hotel, and all his team was there, and he was the most philosophical about it more than anybody he said look you know what I made a mistake I, I, sh- I shouldn't have let that happen. We, we, we knew about this and I got complacent for a split second that one happened again they were all like they were in a morgue he was like come on boys we, we'll fix this we're good he was the upbeat one I spoke to him last week um, as he announced his fight in Gibraltar it was going to be in Gibraltar not in, in the UK and uh, he said Johnny it's not going past five rounds and, and, and the reason why I believe this is because he has totally changed his lifestyle. Boxing is, is part of his lifestyle. It's not something he does uh, uh, in his off time, not something he does a certain time of day. This is his life. So now he's moved out to Portugal. Now he lives in the gym. He's surrounding himself with boxing people. He's constantly in the gym every day, which to me is most important because I suppose it's like staying on top of computers. You've got to make sure you're aware of the newest move, the newest system. You've got to know what everything feels like and even when you can't see it. He is living in the gym. This is what we were brought up on because what happens then if you're living in the gym, and I don't mean sparring every day, you're making yourself getting punched out because that's where most of the damage is done. Spine day. I mean, you're working on the bag, you're working on movement, you're working on your footwork. You look at the condition of his body, look at what you've seen of late. His body, it looks like it's changed completely. Body shape has changed completely. He's happy, like, a, like, like he's happy because he, that's his, now his environment. And he's moved lock, stock and barrel uh, to make it his home. Uh, and believe me, that that's it. He ain't coming back to England. That's what he's telling me. So he said, Johnny, he's ain't going past five rounds. Uh, he knows what he did. Um, he's made sure he got on board some some wise old ears um, and a wise head um, in in the corner. Um, and I do believe uh, he's immersed himself. His as Richard uh, touched on earlier, how bad a case was COVID uh, that Pavet King got? Because if it was as bad as what they say it is, and I've had that thing, you know, it takes a long time to get over it. It takes a good three or four months for you to get your full lung capacity back. If it's that's what it was, or was it the the the, the beating he was he was collecting up to the fight itself? Um, but this is going to be intriguing. It's going to be interesting, and we know what can happen. We will, we know what was happening, and this again um, is why it's that so intriguing. Yeah, you said like you touched upon as well with Dillian kind of saying that this won't go past five rounds, and obviously the beating that he did take off a clitch go for Betkin. And one thing is that he's only actually lost to Klitschko and Joshua, who are two kind of elite heavyweights. Um, in terms of Dillian's prediction, Johnny, do you actually see any way that this fight goes the distance or do you think it's literally... I don't see this fight going the distance. What I do see, and this is what I said before the last fight, Dillian does not want to be crossing swords with this man early. Box him long, punch him long, hurt him long. When I'm saying that, Hit him on the end of a jab. Hit him on the end of a big, uh, big long right hand. Don't be crossing swords with him because the second he crossed swords, he got knocked out. 
you know, there was a few, sorry, it wasn't the first time we crossed swords in the fight. And one of the same cross swords is when you're hooking, you're both hooking at the same time. That means whoever lands, I could fight you. If we throw a hook at the same time and you land before me, you've won, you know, because you're knocking you'd me out. Spark, so, so, you'd be spark out. I'd be spark out. But what I'm saying is, so Dylan was taking chances and giving chances to a man that shouldn't have one at that stage in his career. He made a mistake. Um, I, I, I hope Dylan boxes the way he did up until the knockout, keeping it long, hurting him long, because he had him down, he had him hurt, he had him befuddled, boxing long. The second he went in to cross swords, he got turned off, turned over. So all he has to do is intensify what he was doing up until that point. I do believe he can do it, uh, but he leads to jumping it straight away. Uh, I do believe uh, that Povetkin will be prepared for that as, as well. And he'll be, waiting, he'll be thinking, you know what, I've got to ride a storm until the later rounds. That's what Povetkin will be thinking, ride the storm until the later rounds. I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to get hurt. He's too fast, got too much pace on me. He's strong. He's got long arms. You know, but, but, and, and that's what Povetkin's game plan's got to be. It's got to be that. Uh, and, but for Dylan, he's got to keep him long, hurt him long like he was doing in the last fight. Sure, yeah. I mean, obviously, with the opinions of you guys have put over there, it's obviously going to be an intriguing rematch. And from a from a betting angle, it's one that's pretty difficult to kind of analyse as such. You'd be a brave man to put your money down comfortably on either man. Moving on to another fight that we've got coming up, uh, which is just as intriguing in the lower weight classes. Uh Juan Francisco Estrada versus Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. Now, mm. this has gone a little bit under the radar, but what a fight this is. I mean, these two have actually boxed before back in 2012, I believe. But when I think he was still at 108 pounds, I think Gonzalez won the decision that night. Um, but Gonzalez, remember, at the time was probably regarded as the number one, or if not the number one, one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. Um this fight comes at 115 pounds. Uh, Estrada holds the WBC title, whilst Gonzalez has a WBA belt. Hinnikov priced Estrada up the favourite in the betting of this one at 1.609, which equates to around about a 60% chance of victory, um, with Gonzalez coming in at 40%. Uh, so a fairly close affair. Um Tom, I'll go to you. Form-wise, um, Estrada come off the canvas to pick up an 11th round win last time out against Carlos Cuadros, uh, if I've said that right. Um, last time out on the same event, Gonzalez beat Israel Gonzalez uh, in a title defence. What's your thoughts on how this one plays out? Because I get a slight sense that, like on the last show with the Oscar Valdez fight, uh, this is going to be a real kind of <laughs> humdinger. Yeah, I mean it's it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? This this rematch, and for it could have been made just probably at several points over the past few years at you know whichever weight between one hundred eight and one fifteen. But um, I think if you rewind the clock back to just before Gonzalez beat Kalyafai, the perception was that Gonzalez was a guy on really on the slide. Um, you know he uh, fought Rungvisai, who just had his number. Um, twice and Estrada you know let, let's not forget Estrada was, was really a kid when he fought um, Gonzalez the first time around it's what 20 21 22 I think he was um, yeah. Gonzalez was something as you say Chris you know approaching pound for pound I think he's 33 and 0 um, you know really on a on a roll not not in his prime quite 
quite yet. You know, he was only 20, mid 20s himself, but it was no surprise. You know, he was the he was the firm favorite going into that first fight. I think the way I see it now is that, you know, it, is this going to be a different story at, at Superfly? You know, the guy now in his prime is Estrada. Um, you know, he's, yes, he lost to uh, Rungfazai himself, but, you know, he avenged that. I think he's boxing really well at the moment. He's physically strong, uh, looks really, really kind of filled out as well. Um, I think, you know, I think the, the Layers have got the right favourite, to be honest. Um, but Gonzalez is such a hard guy to back against, isn't he? Because he's so likeable and he's, he's you know, he's so damn good, frankly. Uh, and I think the fact that when he went out and beat Yafai in the manner that he did, it was kind of everyone kind of stood up a little bit and said, okay, well, he's still there. You know, the fighter that we remember is still there. And I think this, you know, I think this could be one of the fights of the year, frankly. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. It's one of them that you almost kind of guaranteed entertainment. Uh, Rich, I'll move on to you. I mean, Gonzalez coming in, he's, I think he's 33 now. So do you think that maybe with these odds, him being kind of the underdog, he's, the odds compilers are looking at maybe him being a little bit long in the tooth and like Tom touched upon that Gonzalez is the one coming into his prime but I mean uh, sorry not Gonzalez uh, Estrada sorry coming into his prime so against against Cal fight, he looked he looked good he looked reborn I mean do you think he's still got enough in him to win this fight and who would you be backing to win this one? Oh, I think he's absolutely got enough in him to win this fight I mean you're talking about in the primes and the rages, but let's forget there's only there's only I think two or three years between them. Uh, obviously, he's had more fights, but I, would I bet on this fight? No, because my prediction is they're just going to at some stage they'll both fly at each other. Uh, I would not be surprised at all for Gonzalez to win, but as Tom was saying, Estrada lately's come more coming to his own. He's filled out. He looks good at the weight, but in his last fight. He, you know, he got knocked down, so he can be hurt and he can be knocked down. Uh, and if anyone can jump on those opportunities, it is Gonzalez. So it's an absolutely intriguing fight. And I think watching it, I think you'll just see like a flurry of gloves flying nonstop for, for however long it lasts. Yeah. yeah um, but Johnny, if you I'll want go... me to bet, I'll go Gonzalez. Go on, I'll go, I'll go Gonzalez. So. Rich is going for the value in Gonzalez. Uh, Johnny, I'll go to yeah. you. Um, I mean, in terms of like the fight itself, it, it does remind us a little bit of the Burchell Valdez fight. And like Rich touched upon as well, I can't see this being a tickling contest. This is going to be a all out war. <sighs> and I have a feeling that we'll see some kind of brutality and probably a concussive knockout at some point. Um, how do you see it playing out? And in terms of if you was to hypothetically bet on this fight, who do you, who do you think will be victorious? I'd lean towards Gonzalez. I'd look at Gonzalez and look, look, since they boxed the last time, 2012, he's had 13 knockouts out of 18 fights. Yes, he's lost two fights, got knocked out in one of those against the same opponent. That was for the WBC title. Uh, uh, but then uh, he's been consistent in uh, 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 before and after that. Um, and and so he had he has the, the, the beating uh, of Estrada. We've seen that. So we'll go in there with that confidence, regardless of what uh, Estrada's achieved up to that point. Estrada, an outstanding fighter, the younger of the two men. Uh, uh, but I just think the run and the development of both fighters coming through. So Estrada only lost one fight, actually, since... Uh, his fight against Gonzalez uh, to this to date. Uh, uh, so, so how 
how would that have affected him? Uh, affected the ball from the loss? I don't know. I think they both had to 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 lick the wounds and get on with it. Uh, I do believe it'll be an outstanding fight. I do believe that Chocolatito has has, has the experience and the 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 drive, the the, the punch power uh, to to again be a force and come out with a, a win. But it'd be a tight, close points win, and it'll be a hard fought fight. Sure. I mean, I get the conscious, obviously, with that as well, that there could be a bit of value in Gonzalez there then, because uh, he's obviously the, the outsider in the betting. So you'll get you'll get a decent price on him. I tend to agree with you guys as well. I think that although I kind of see the, the fight price kind of correctly, I do lean towards Gonzalez with that experience um, and his performance last time out. So uh, Backers of that one, uh, our views there will be Gonzalez in that fight. Um, moving on to the next fight coming up, we're going to Johnny's old Chris, division. Chris, actually. before Chris, before you move on to cruiserweight, the bigger the bigger gamble there was that's the first time I can remember me and Johnny have agreed on a fight. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is one that you'd have got massive odds on. <laughs> no, I thought, hey, Rich, what are you doing? Reading my mind. <laughs> no, I remember uh, the last just to keep it going. The last show, Rich, you was on. Uh, you was on Burchelt, wasn't you? I think so. That one, uh, that one, come out. Anyway, as well. let's move on. What were we doing next? Anyway, go on. Let's move on. We'll we'll move on to, like I said, Johnny's old division, and the belt uh, will be on the line cruiserweight, I believe, when Lawrence Acoli attempts to become Britain's next world champion, in which is just his sixteenth fight, um, which is against the tried and tested Christoph Glawacki. Um, Glawacki was stopped by Maris Bradis last time out, and his only other loss come to Alexander Usic, who obviously we all know is you know a top level cruiserweight and obviously now a top level heavyweight. Um, bookmakers have got a Coley as a fairly substantial favourite in this one. Um, it's giving him around a 70% chance of victory across the board and Glauwaki. 30% chance. Um, I'll go to you, Johnny. Um, obviously, this is your old belt, your old division. Um, would you make a Coley such a big favourite in this one, being so inexperienced? Um, or do you feel like it's, this is this, the odds on this should be a little bit tighter? I, I agree. I, I would make him a favourite. I think Cruiserweight is massive in the way. I think he's, he's still very green. His rhythm is very unpredictable. His style is very gangly, something it's going to be hard to prepare for. After seeing Glowacki against, I think it was Bredis. Um, and they, they show us show the part to his character where what I didn't like to see, uh, I think in the second round he tried to Tried to milk, uh, um, uh, milk. Uh, I don't know a decision or a point docking uh, uh, of a shot, uh, and then uh, when he eventually got stopped, I just saw his heart go. I saw his heart go. I saw that it can be broke. His heart can be broken, it, and now to get to be getting him with a coley, uh, and if you're weak of heart, to be getting him with a coley who punches hard, who's massive, who's awkward to hit. Your heart will be broken inside five rounds. Uh, I think a Coley has taken everything in his stride. He was fortunate, you know what? That that they should have boxed uh, in in fight camp. It fell through. He ended up fighting somebody else. A Coley got rid of him in no space, uh, no time at all. But uh, the the longer he left it, the more he's given a Coley chance to 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 get more comfortable uh, in his shoes and 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 make his style become more adaptable. 
uh, I go for Coley. I totally agree with the the bettings, uh, the betting odds, uh, and and I'd be surprised if he went past the midway section of the fight. That's a that's a brave that's a brave and bold prediction there. Um, Tom, I'll go to you on this. Like with like where Johnny says, um, the prices. How do they first of all sit with you? And do you think they're about right? I get the I get the sense on this one that some of it's down to obviously Balwaki's last performance, like Johnny touched upon. Um, kind of almost like quitting as such and losing his heart and also his age comes into it. I think he's 34 now, so he's probably more on the more on the decline. And Akoli's obviously the, the fighter on the up. Um, do you think Akoli should be given around a 70% chance or do you give Glauwaki any kind of hope? You know what? When the, the odds for this first came out, I had a lot of people tweeting me saying, is, is this right? Glauwaki, you know... Um, two to one, you know, nine to four, it, it, surely that's value. Surely that, you know, that, that can't be right. And you look at it and you think, you know, glowatsky has been around the really, you know, been around the block, really kind of battle hardened guy. He's fought, he's fought them all pretty much at Cruiserweight, you know, Brady, Susik, um, Marco Hook, Steve Cunningham. And he's, he's only lost to the two guys who won the, the two, um, you know, super series tournaments in, in Brady and Usyk. And then you, you can't, Look, it's 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 tricky because I really, really rate Akoli very highly. And I think some people get clouded sometimes that he's not always the most pretty fighter to watch. That he's, you know, he yes, he does clinch a lot, and sometimes, you know, he has been in some bad fights. But that shouldn't detract from the the, the fact really that he's really, really good and he's a big, big um cruiserweight. I think personally this is all about timing. Um and Gluatsky, he's pro- you know he probably peaked maybe back when he, he you know stopped um, Marco Hook, which was a, a fair few years ago now. Akoli is at a point. What is he? Fifteen fights in, he's won twelve of those by stoppage. So that tells me that, yeah, uh, as Johnny said, you know this is a guy who punches really hard for starters. But I think the perception that he just stinks his way through fights is actually is actually off. He actually gets rid of most of the guys he fights. You know he. He fought for the European title against um, Yves Nagabu and he destroyed him. And then he, as again, as Johnny said last time out, he stopped um, Jezuski in, in a couple of rounds. So I think that he, he's kind of got a reputation among some that isn't quite fair. And I think an easy comparison to make, you know, a guy 15 fights in, he's already been Commonwealth, already been British, already been European champion, now going for a world. If you compare his preparation to someone like Josh Kelly a couple of weeks ago, who was then going for a European title after, what, 11, 11 12 fights. Akoli is much more rounded. I think he's much more prepared to fight the real, the real best in his division. And I, I think this is really good matchmaking. I think Akoli, when you look at the odds, there's every argument say it should be tighter. But if you're asking me to predict a winner, I think Akoli is going to be a real physical handful for, for Glowatsky. I think he's fresher. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if he stopped him. Rich, going to you, obviously you well known for doing a bit of matchmaking yourself. Um, do you think this is generally good matchmaking? Um, and do you think Akoli's going to kind of be right place, right time, and Glauwaki's kind of a little bit past his best? Um, how do them prices sit with you? Do you see Akoli coming through? Uh, I think this I think this is a junction fight in terms of matchmaking where he goes, you know, he's got, he can only go left or right if he goes left. He goes on and his career jumps on in a big, you know, like 
Tom's just said, winning a world title in his 16th fight. Or if he goes right, then it's back to the drawing board and and where does he go from here? I mean, I'll be honest, you know, Johnny was really early to the Lawrence Akole party and I was pretty late. I thought the fights, some of his early fights, asking Chamberlain, one or two others were really uninspiring. His, his timing seemed off, his rhythm seemed off, he seemed a little bit all over the place. And yeah, he's, you know, look, he's on a good run. He's won his last few by his last four or five, his stoppage, but with the greatest respect, that's at a level that you'd say is well below Glowacki. So, I mean, look, he's improved, and he's gone to Shane McGuigan, uh, and he's, everyone says he's been a lot of improvement from there. Uh, so he's obviously got a, a good team around him. Uh, but yeah, it is. I, I see this as a real junction fight. I don't want to judge Glowacki just on the, the Breedies fight because, you know, as we all know, working in boxing, you never fully know what happens around one fight. You never know what's going off in background injuries, personal life. So I, I don't want to judge him just on the, that one fight. But, you know, like Tom said, he's fought absolutely everybody. Johnny mentioned, is there a question mark now over his heart? Uh, maybe. But I, I do. Um, uh, I think that's that's... It's big odds for a Coley, I think, that said that he's, he's you know, he's, he's 70% nailed on to win it. I think that's a bit of a reach, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it does, obviously, a lot of people, I'd imagine, will be kind of backing with the experience of Glauwaki. Um Moving on to kind of a few, I suppose, what we would say, the real big fights that have come around recently, um, which have kind of wet the lips of boxing fans. We won't go too in-depth on them. Um, but I'd like to get like your guys' early thoughts on the prices. Uh, first off, um, we've obviously got the great Mexican Sal Canelo Alvarez facing off against Billy Joe Saunders. Um, and we have Josh Taylor, who's just signed to fight uh, Jose Ramirez for kind of all the marbles at like, welterweight. Um, first of all, on the Canelo-Billy Joe fight, I think that just reading some comments and people who are discussing the fight, I get the conscious here is that if the best Billy Joe can turn up and implement his game plan to kind of perfection on the night, he's got a decent chance of beating Canelo as stylistically he's, some people are even saying he's all wrong for Canelo. Um, do we buy into that? I mean, in Canelo, we're talking about a guy who's, you know, he's a real elite top level pound for pound star, a guy who I'd imagine could be compared to when his career is over the greats. Um, he lives the life. He's been active. I mean, he's hardly broke a sweat beating Callum Smith to a degree. Um, Tom, I'll lean just on you for them early prices. What's the kind of general take from, I suppose, people who have reacted to yourself on Twitter and things like that and from the bookmakers on on these two these two fights and, and the odds that the odds, odds compilers have put out? Yeah, so Canelo Saunders, um, of course, this fight was first um, priced up spring last year when, you know, last May, this fight was originally going to happen before kind of uh, COVID spoiled that party. Um, the prices have gone up very similar, actually, this time around, despite Canelo's kind of activity in between. 1.19 uh, favourite with Pinnacle at the moment, so just shy of 5-1 to one on favourite, about an 84% implied chance. Um, Saunders is the 4.83 underdog, so nearly 4-1 to one, um, implied chance there. Uh, sorry, nearly 4-1 to one underdog, around 21% implied probability. Um, interestingly, and I, I've kind of wanted to test those odds a little bit, I ran a Twitter poll um, a couple of days ago. It came out 
of everyone who voted on that. I think there are about 700 votes picked Canelo compared to just nine against uh, Billy Joe Saunders. And I don't know if that says something about my Twitter followers or the general <laughs> perception, but I, I thought that would be, I actually thought the public opinion would be closer than the, uh, than the odds themselves. To be fair, though, Tom, you did you did stick that out on Twitter Mexico, so that were that were bound to happen, weren't it? Yeah, I, I put a few quid in the advertising <laughs> yeah. as well to get out of Mexico City. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, Taylor Ramirez, then a um, bit of movement in this one already. Actually, Taylor, um, when the fight was kind of being rumoured about top price of around four to six, eight to thirteen, so one point six ish, sixty two percent. Um, early days of this market, though, considering we're looking at, what, 22nd of May, um, but there has been some quick money on Josh Taylor. Most um, firms now across the industry going well well shorter than that, well below 2 to 1 on, um, 4 to 9, um, so 1.44, 4 to 11, 1.36. It's actually very similar to the Ecoli fight. It puts him about a 73% favourite, making Ramirez um, about 2 to 1, 15 to 8, about a 35% chance. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, intriguing and a couple of intriguing fights. I mean, we'll go to you, Johnny. In terms of the um, Canelo-Billy Joe fight, how do you kind of see that as an earlier prediction playing out? I mean, do you buy into the fact that if Billy, if the best Billy Joe does turn up and he implements his game plan, he can, he can actually beat Canelo? You know, the only person that's seen a blueprint to beating Canelo was obviously Floyd Mayweather. Now we are appreciating how good Floyd Mayweather uh is or was uh, in in beating him and looking at so making it look so easy, the style of what he chose was hit was was, was boxing slickness, um, um, and and smarts ring wing, uh, ring smarts. Billy, I don't believe is is physically as strong as Canelo. I think that's an obvious, uh, but I do believe that um, he has that style to to give him nightmares, give him kittens. He's southpaw. He's he's slick. Um, uh, and 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 he produces things that you wouldn't expect him to, him to produce. In saying that, this is about game plan. This is about tactics. And I'm not saying this is an impossible task for Billy. What I'm saying is this is a task that he needs to be spot on right come fight night. Because if he isn't, he gets turned over. So so the best Billy Joe uh, getting in there against Canelo, then then uh, I, I give him a chance. Uh, a slim one but I give him a chance because I've got to admit, Canelo, regardless of what you think, technically, uh, what I see from him is, is improvement and brilliant every time. Um, and, 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 uh, and it gets better and better. Um, and so, so I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to fault him. I'm struggling to find any, any, any chinks in him uh, because he just gets better. Um, uh, but Billy Joe's style is that style to give him kittens, to give him hellfire, to make him think, you know, what the hell is going on there? He's got to wait for Billy to slow down. He's got to wait for Billy to, to get flat-footed or go to sleep for a split second in a fight. And he's the only fighter that will capitalise on that. But Billy knows how tough this fight is, and Billy is one of the few fighters in the world that has a world title, that believes he's the best in the world. So regardless of how it turns out, I think this will be will be a good fight. And it's, it's a fight where it's, it's got people talking. Yeah, I mean, Rich, uh, Johnny touched upon it there. Obviously, the, the blueprint to beat Canelo did come from kind of Floyd Mayweather. Um, 
that was kind of seven years ago or kind of however long it was. I mean, I was actually there that night ringside and it was one of the best performances I can remember from a fighter ever. It was, I mean, he was unbelievable in that, in that fight. Um, Canelo since then, um, what I've seen of him has come on absolute leaps and bounds and almost kind of learned a lot from Floyd Mayweather in that fight. Um, sometimes he's even tried to implement some of his kind of defensive kind of genius into his own game. Um, how do you think, Rich, that it sits in terms of, do you give um, do you give Billy kind of any chance in this fight? Do you think he'd have to be kind of 110% and if Nello was you know, well below par, he could, he could possibly spring the upset? Uh, yeah, look, Billy, if you're going to beat Canelo you've, at the moment, you've got to be 100%. You've got to be 100%. And I know, but if, if anybody stylistically is going to give Canelo problems, it is somebody like Billy Joe Saunders. And, you know, a lot of us can look back and say, oh, well, you know, Floyd Mayweather were only one. But I thought, if you look back now, historically, that were fantastic matchmaking from Al Heyman and Floyd himself in... You either fight somebody just after they're at the best or you fight them just before they get to the best. And I think that's what they did with Canelo. He was still coming up. He was still, you know, say coming up, he was still a megastar in Mexico. But he weren't he weren't in his peak years. He was before he'd fully developed. And I thought it was fantastic matchmaking. Now, when you look back on that now, that was great timing and great matchmaking because it were getting him just before he'd, you know, reached his, his peak. Uh, Billy, it's, look, it's an uphill task. I mean, the the one thing none of us are considering is, even though the fights have been easy in a way, you know, he blew through Callum Smith without much, didn't didn't put a lot, had to put a lot of work into that. It was really easy for him. Uh, Yildrim again, he's just blown him apart. But he's still got to prepare for those fights. He's still got to spar. He's still got to be hitting the heavy bag. And as Johnny will tell you, you know, sometimes it's the preparation and the injuries in preparation that take it out of you for when you fight. So he is, you know, he's fighting. You get a lot of preparation for fights in a short space of time, and it, it depends what that wear and tear takes on him. But you, you've got to make look. I've, I've known Billy since before he went to Olympics, uh, and I, I've really got my fingers crossed for him. But look, stylistically, is that the style that could do it? Yeah, definitely. But do I see? Am I confident that it happens? No, he's he's uh, he's really on the top of his game now, Canelo, and I'm I'm not sure Billy can keep him off for the twelve rounds. Johnny, just quickly go back to you. I mean, Rich touched upon it about getting getting a fighter kind of before their prime or after their prime. Two fighters that are both very much in their prime is uh, Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez. Um, I think the conscious with this one is that Taylor's the slight favourite for that. But in terms of like the early prices, how do you kind of possibly see this one playing out? I've seen a lot of people favouring Taylor quite heavily. Um, but Ramirez is, yeah, he's a very, very good fighter. He's gone a little bit under the radar. Do you see any way that Ramirez can kind of beat Taylor or do you kind of fancy Taylor to come through in this one? Taylor's the best in the division uh, um, at this moment in time. Uh, Taylor has, has, um, has, has probably not got the, got the acclaim he probably rightfully deserves. Ramirez unbeaten, I think it's in 30, 33, five, no, 26 fights. Um, so, so of course, you know, the, he's got all the pedigree, he's got all the credentials. But I think Taylor uh, has that, that, that great determination and that willpower and still only 17 fights in as a professional to want more, to still be hungry. 
And as a champion, if you're fighting hungry as a champion, it makes you not just not just WBC and IBF champion as well. It it makes you dangerous because you're thinking, what is driving this man? Um, uh, Taylor, I'm a massive fan. Uh, Taylor, I think uh, he has all the ingredient ingredients and arrogance and um, an attitude to, to to pull through. And when it comes down to character of two fighters that have, have even still, uh, I uh, and, and that's these two. I'd say uh, Taylor's a man that I'd put my put my door on. Sure, and uh, just finally on uh, these two fights, Tom, I'll go to you. Um, I don't know if you put up a Twitter poll for Taylor and Ramirez or it was just the Canelo Billy Joe, but um, I'm interested to get your take on kind of how you see this one playing out. Um, I know that Taylor is the favourite in the betting. Um, do you see any value at all in Ramirez maybe um, or do you maybe even see the value in Taylor? I did put up a poll for this one as well. Um, I, did, I saw the few fights coming up. I thought I'd just do a batch. Um, Taylor, 85%, 15% Ramirez. So m- more similar to the pricing, um, 73% on the odds for Taylor, 85 in the polls. A little bit closer than that Canelo Saunders um, result. I, yeah, I, th- I think Taylor's the better all-round fighter. Um, I think, I, I said to someone the other day, if this fight was going to be in... Um, Glasgow or, you know, Edinburgh Castle or, you know, wherever they want to put it in Scotland with a crowd, there would be no doubt in my mind that Taylor will win this fight. I think once you add in the variable of no crowd, once you add in the variable that, you know, it's going to be in the States, that brings Mirares into play a little bit more, but he's, he's the fighter that's going to win on activity. And I think look, they both struggled against Victor Postol, didn't they? And Taylor eventually kind of pulled away and, and got the knockdown and, and looked better. Whereas we saw Postol, you know, Pope Moreira's a lot more problems. Um, I think, you know, he's he's going to come at Taylor, but I think Taylor's just got the angles. He's got that unpredictability. He's got the footwork and he's a lot less one dimensional than, than say Postol is. Um, you know, Maurice Hooker. I, I just think, I think Taylor's got too much room. I think he'll win a, Fairly convincing decision. I don't see him stopping, um, stopping him, but I think he'll win fairly clearly on the cards. We'll get to the uh, final part of uh, the podcast, and these always go down uh, really well. Uh, we always run a we run a question and answer across kind of social media, giving our listeners the chance to kind of freely ask kind of questions, appropriate questions that is uh, across the board. Um, we've had a fair few come in across uh, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I'll read some of these out. I think, Johnny, you've got uh, the bulk of them, uh, surprisingly. Um, but uh, there are a couple there in there for you, Rich, and uh, one for you, Tom, at the end. Um, first one that has come in, uh, Johnny, this is for you. Um, Given your well-documented struggles you had with confidence early in your career, what advice would you give to any young fighter going through the same struggles? Uh, my advice would be believe in your own ability. Um, um, uh, a loss doesn't mean um, uh, that's you're not going to do it. It doesn't mean it's the end of the road for you. Uh, a loss is actually part of your learning. Uh, don't conform to what what people think is the norm, having an unbeaten record or, um, or or going through it smoothly. Because if you try and do that, you're always going to be up against it. You've got to think between now and becoming champion, you've got to learn and get experience. But when I talk experience, I mean 
good experience and bad experience. So when good things are going for you, thinking it's great, when bad things are going for you, this is something you're going to learn from because then once you've got experience uh, of good and bad, you get wisdom, makes you smarter, makes you more successful down the line in what you're doing. So embrace everything you're learning, listening to, and being honest with yourself. With yourself. <clears throat> and and as you, if you can stick it out and you can see it, you can conceive it in your head, you can achieve it. Um, and and that's that's... I don't read a book for that. I don't, I don't, I've not seen a film for that. I know that works because that work, that's what worked for me. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like you say, it's about your first hand, first hand proof of that. I mean, uh, second question as well that's coming again. This is for you, Johnny. Um, what do you think was the secret to the Ingle Gym success? And what was it about Brendan that set them apart? Referring to Brendan Ingle, obviously. Yeah, well, the secret to the Ingle Gym success was Brendan. Um, <laughs> that was it. Brendan was uh, very wise, very smart, very happy to play. These are his words. So I'm not being non-PC. He was very happy to play the thick, the thick paddy. He'd play the fool to catch the wise. Uh, but this guy, you'd go in his house, he'd have books on... Um, philosophy, uh, uh, politics, and he was so clever. But I suppose it's watching the usual suspects and you don't realise who Kaiser Sose is. Because Brendan was that guy. Uh, he, was, he was an encyclopedia and he, he understood the history of our sport. There are not, if any, real coaches left. There are trainers, people that go to college and come back and they'll tell you how to, you know, they'll have letters after the name because they'll be able to tell you how to run X, Y, Z or lose out X amount of weight. You need someone that can talk to you and, 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 and train your mind as well as your body, tell you about the history of our sport, make you understand and appreciate the history of our sport. So with that kind of knowledge, when you get in the ring, you're, you're rounded, you understand the before, during, after and future, how things can be. You've got to immerse yourself in it. And Brendan made sure um, he did that. And it wasn't just about getting in the ring and, and, and getting your body right. It was about getting your head right. Our gym was multicultural 40 years ago. It's a buzzword. It's a, it's a popular word now. It's 40 years ago. But it would never have been like that unless it was Brendan that, that, that understood and looked at human nature, looked how people were, and looked at the past history of, of sport. Um, so, yeah, that's why the gym was successful. Uh, under the tutor of Brendan, I think people that, anybody that's met him uh, will totally understand where I'm coming from, where he was, he was one of the few good coaches left or coaches left. There are no coaches anymore. There are trainers. I'll train you to do this. I'll train you to coaches. Brendan was a culture, a live culture, and he'd be... He teach you everything, physical, mental, emotional. So when you got in the ring, you was prepared for everything. Sure, yeah. Um, the next one we've got in here, just reading, this one's for you, Rich, actually. Um, given your work with Chris Eubank Jr. in the past and being close to Kel, I presume Kel Brook, obviously, up in Sheffield, um, do you feel this fight will happen? And if so, do you think it's a wise move for Kel to take well, funnily enough, this was one myself, Johnny and, and Anthony spoke about on our show on the last filming we did. I have to say, I, and I really, really hope that doesn't happen. I really hope it doesn't happen. I don't see anything. I don't see anything good from that fight for Kel. Uh, could does that mean that it won't happen? No. Could it happen? Yeah, absolutely. It's boxing. Anything can happen. 
But personally, you know, Eubank, Libs are a 100%, you know, for all these tech, technical deficiencies, and, these, you know, there's a few, he's 100% fit, he 100% eats well, he 100% sleeps well, he, he lives the life. Uh, and I think for Kel, coming up in weight and at the time of years in his career, in his life, uh, no, I, I hope that, I really, really strongly hope that doesn't happen. And I'm, I'm sure Johnny will probably say the same because he's known Kel since he were, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper, as we say up here. Yeah, I tend to agree with that kind of opinion as well. Um, question for Johnny again. Um, we've touched on this fight actually in the pod, so kind of relatable to that, but we'll go to it. Go to it. Um, the winner of Akoli Glawaki gets WBO Cruiserweight title, which is a title that you've held for longer than anyone else. Um, what are your thoughts on the current Cruiserweight division compared to recent years? Well, I was a massive fan of Alexander Usyk um, because what he brought to the division was an unorthodox style that was um, uh, very successful. And, and if you knew your boxing, you know, he was smooth, he was slick with it, he was very good with it. I think the division um, has no dominating figures anymore and it needs a dominating figure. Uh, the one you, when you think of this name, you think Cruiserweight. Um, I think um, Akole, the size he is and the position he is and where he is in his career, I don't know how long he'll stay at Cruiserweight for because there's a good chance he may get offered great money boxing at, at heavyweight because I know he spars with a lot of heavyweights. So, so our division, um, again, it's still it's, it's, it's with the small heavyweights, but uh, our division is... Has always been. If you if you've got a dancing part in the division, that's why the the, the series, the, the the Super Six series was the the, the series is good. Um, of all the cruiserweights find each other, then it's all well and good. But there's not many that are technically astute where they stand out. You think, oh my god! Now, if you talk to fighters today, fans today, you've, you'll they'll know Alexander Usyk. Ask them to name four or five more of the cruiserweights. They'll struggle. Um, and that's always been the, the problem in our in 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 my old division. Uh, I think Lawrence Acoli could be in a position where he could dominate the division um, as long as he keeps on the same path he's on now. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And this the, the next question that come in is actually you've almost kind of answered it there to a degree. Um, it's got a couple of variants to it. Uh, Derek Chisora has suggested Acoli move up to heavyweight to target a fight with Dillian White, um, which you touched upon with. Akoli moving up to mix with the heavyweights. Um, what are your thoughts on cruiserweights moving up to heavyweight? Uh, Gassiev, Usic, Hunter, etc. And do you think more should stay where they are rather than move up too soon? Well, well I can go from experience. I know when I boxed, I boxed one or two heavyweights. I, I won a version uh, of heavyweight title uh, down on the Southern Hemisphere, but I knew it was a cruiserweight. I knew I knew I was a, with the boss of my division. I was the strongest. I was the fastest. I was longest, the longest. But when you get into the heavyweight division, you're coming up guys, against guys that are huge, like Tyson Fury, John T. Wilder, and Joshua. They've got height, they've got reach, and they're still athletic winner with it. <clears throat> so, so uh, there's certain cruiserweights have to stay cruiserweight because they're too small for the division. They're not little pocket rockets like Mike Tyson. They're too small for the division to 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 be as successful as what they could be um, uh, at, um, uh, at, um, at cruiser at heavyweight. 
Um, in regards to uh, um, um, in regards to where else they'd move from with that, I'm trying to think. <clears throat> um, I'm, I'm trying to think. Oh my goodness! Should Lawrence go crawling move up to heavyweight? I think he will. I, I believe he will. Will he fight Dylan White? It's a fight he could do. Uh, it's a fight that he's, he wouldn't shy away from. Does he spar with heavyweights? Yes, I know he sparred with Anthony Joshua a lot. Um, and, and that's the one I know about. So so he can move up to heavyweight because he has the frame, he has the size to do it. Sure, yeah. Uh... And, remember, and, and remember this. You look at the likes of uh, <clears throat> um, Deontay Wilder. On average, he was 15 and a half stone. Yeah. That's a stone heavier than, than Cruiserweight. So, and he's talking about trying to fight. He could, he could make Cruiserweight. So he's a big unit that can bang. So he could still. So you've got to have things in your favour. Height, reach, if you've not got weight. If you've not got height and reach, you've got to have weight. If you've not got weight, you've got to have strength and speed. And uh, so, so it's, it, it's, it's, it just depends on the individual. <clears throat> sure. Uh... Tom, we've got one coming for you. Uh, this is a kind of a, I suppose, across the board question. Is like, uh, are there any bets that you have your eye on over the next month? And if so, what value do you see in these markets that you're going to bet on? Well, looking at the, I guess, the calendar month of March, obviously we've touched on a, a couple earlier there. And I like, I do like a Coley um, to win. I'm, I'm still kind of considering how he'll get it done, but I, I think there will be some value there that I'll, I'll, I'll be going for. There's one that I do like actually, which is on the um, Pavetkin White undercard, uh, the rescheduled under, undercard, um, which is Ted Cheeseman versus um, JJ Metcalf. Um, it's an interesting fight. It's, it's actually a really good fight, but I think the odds are probably a little bit out from where I would have them. Um, the odds makers make Cheeseman an underdog in that fight, about 11 to 8. Um, so about 42%. Uh, Metcalf is the favourite, about four to six, but shorter as well. So four to seven, um, just looking here, eight to 13. It's about 64% chance they've given for, for Metcalf. I think that's a little bit too wide when you look at their records. Um, been researching this fight and you look at Metcalf's record, he, this is a chance for him to really announce himself. It's the first kind of really big fight he's had. But if you take out um, Jason Wellborn for his, from his record, he's, his record's really light. And he's a guy who's 30 years old two of his last three fights were against, you know, really, I'd say, proper journeymen, but they had, you know, combined 100-odd losses between them in his last two fights. Now, for him to be stepping up to fight someone like Ted Cheeseman, who's really kind of well-established as a, a domestic level, you know, Eggington and Conway and uh, Fitzgerald, um, obviously fought Garcia at European, you know, fought Carson Jones as well. He's, he's fought at a much higher level for a much longer. He hasn't won all of those fights, but the ones that he's lost, he's gone really close to, and, you know, he's never been stopped. I think Cheeseman being the matchroom fighter on a matchroom card as the underdog with everything that we've seen in their records, I just think that's a little bit too, a little bit too big. So when, the, when that fight is first announced, you know, first sort of rumoured, I said, it's a good, really good fight, maybe 50-50, you know, 10 to 11 the pair-ish, maybe even slight favourite Cheeseman. I've, I was surprised to see him go up as a slight underdog. And I think that's um, that could be a bit of value if you fancy that one. Yeah, uh, moving on, let's have a look what we've got. One more that has come in. Actually, as it goes, we've got one. So we've got one more question to answer. And I've actually got a question myself for Johnny, um, which is totally un, 
betting related, but it's also boxing related. Um, I'm I'm not sure you've got to answer, Johnny, but obviously myself being a huge Nassim Hamed fan growing up, I'm going to wind back <clears throat> all the way to probably would have been April 2001 uh, when he fought uh, Mark Antony Barrera. So it would be Palm Springs training camp. Uh, that night that Naz lost that, I was absolutely devastated. Um, and it was something I always wanted to, it always kind of intrigued me with the stories around Naz kind of, did he train properly for that fight? Was his mind on the job? Uh, had he made too much money, et cetera, et cetera. My kind of view on that fight always was that if Naz had a fought him maybe three, four years earlier, um, he would have done a job on Barrera, not in any way diminishing Barrera. He's a great fighter. Um, but I've always felt that Naz kind of had the beating of him. I kind of felt that Barrera prolonged that fight a little bit after being offered, obviously, multi-million pound deals to fight Naz prior to that and kind of got Naz at the right time. Uh, firstly, was that kind of it, what was the insight into that? Because I don't, I can't remember. You might have even been over there with Naz at the time. Uh, was it was he training correctly and was he kind of living the life? Or <laughs> something that something that just kind of Barrera was just better on the night. Um, no, I wasn't over there at the time. At that time, he'd, he'd split with Brendan Ingle uh, a few fights before that. Uh, my opinion of the, the night of the fight, and this is because of the Naz I knew. I thought Naz had beat Barrera. Uh, I then realised probably before the fight and uh, and maybe I was probably blinded by what I know Naz was capable of doing when he was in the gym with us uh, that that he could still do that unfortunately I think Naz's problem was the second he left Brendan if you look at every fight he had since that his his performances dropped to level yeah. uh, uh, it wasn't as it was as polished it wasn't as effective uh, if he had Brendan in his corner um and, and Brendan working with him in preparation for that fight, I believe Naz would have, Naz would have pulled it off. But if you look at the documentary that he put out, I think he was staying at Bob Hope's house. He was, he was, he had, he flew and um, uh, um, Miles Stewart out to to uh, to oversee his training. Uh, but but um, and there were certain things that I found that fundamentally were very wrong in his preparation for that. And if Naz is ever if he's ever honest with you about that. He will tell you. He, th he thought it was a done deal. He thought Barrera was shot. He thought it was a done deal. Whereas if Brendan was with him, Brendan would have made sure Naz was on point in every point of it. And um, and so that was a downfall. Naz had to beat Barrera. Naz could have jumped up the weights and and gone on and and, and be a three way champion. Um, but he unfortunately um, he uh, he took his after ball. He thought he could do it himself. And as I said before. David Beckham wouldn't be David Beckham without Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, uh, that's that's what I'm trying to say to you. So with Naz, Naz needed Brendan, and 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 without Brendan, he was the character, he was the the, the name. But was he the same fighter? In my opinion, no, he wasn't. And uh, I think that's well, that was his biggest mistake. And if Brendan was in his corner on that night, he'd have pulled off a win. Yeah, I mean, it always kind of shocks me with that one. How. Um, Barrera come into that fight from going from, and like you said, that Naz obviously thought it was a done deal. Barrera, if he'd watched his fights prior to that with Morales, etc., he was kind of a come forward, aggressive, all action fighter and just miraculously turned into this kind of slick counter puncher for the night. And like no one knew where it came from. But uh, we've got one more question uh, for you, Johnny. This is the last one. This will give us a bit of a laugh, I suppose. Uh, 
<laughs> you've probably been asked this a few times actually in recent months. Do you truly believe that James Tennyson ices Javonka Davis? <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit low. Oh, yeah. You know what? But why did I think that was going to pop up? Now let let me just let's just get it right. And if I didn't say it right, I'll say it again. I said if Tennyson lands on uh, uh, on Dave, uh, Javonte, he knocks him out. I think he's got the power to do that. That's if he lands. The devil's in the detail. So I said with that kind of power he's got. He has got the strength to do that. Has he got the ability? Wasn't the question. How, can he get close enough to him? Wasn't the question. What I'm saying is, if he had the, if he, if he landed with that kind of power, he would knock anybody in his division out. So I, I stick by it. Please forgive me if, if you think <laughs> I was saying, you know, if you think I was saying, nah, nah, he's much better than Javante Davis. I was saying he had the power to do that, and I'll stick by that even today. But I do have a laugh at it. And, you, and, your reverse, and, uh, your reverse Parkinson <laughs> seems to not be working, John. I stick by it. I think he's got that punchy power to do it. Um, and, and but you know, is it punching enough? You don't know. But it didn't, it didn't you listen? The backlash on that was so funny. I, I loved it. My Twitter feed was on fire. <laughs> I, long, uh, I long for the day that if Tennyson does ice him, just to see you come out come out of the woodwork and say his uh, I'm telling you now, I'm going to stand there on the stage in just my kicks and do a little dance. Say, I told you so. I told you. Could, you could dine out on that one forever if you pulled it yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, you die. Yeah, you one, one thing for sure will be interesting to see uh, the odds if that fight ever does happen. Um, that just about kind of wraps things up for today. Um, just to touch on the end, uh, be sure to follow um, if you guys are looking at other apps and things like that to follow. Um, box Pro underscore fitness, um, which is at Box Pro underscore fitness. It's the new boxing fitness community from Johnny and Spencer Oliver. Uh, the app is free to download. And it's tailored to home workouts to suit all levels. Um, boxing betters and fans can also follow the new boxing chat show weighing in, which features former world champion Anthony Crawler, who was on the show last month. Um, and also Richard and Johnny themselves. Uh, it's fully interactive and available when you download the Pitch Boxing app on Twitter and Instagram, which is at Pitch Boxing. And for all the odds that we've discussed today, you can find them at pinnacle.com. And remember to always gamble responsibly.